take your Bibles, if you would, and let's go to the book of Mark, chapter number 14. Mark, chapter number 14. I'm going to let you remain seated this morning while we read together. Mark 14, verses 26 through 42. As we continue on our journey to the cross of the book of Mark, and we walk through these verses together, we are coming to the end of our Lord's journey, and we're coming to the cross. And um, this is the place where last week we looked at the Lord's table, and we also saw the anointing of our Lord's feet and his head and that anointing taking place. And now we are at the end of the Lord's table. We're at the end of the Passover, and we're going into the garden with the Lord now. And so if you found your place in Mark 14, let's begin reading in verse number 26. And when they had sung in him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. And Jesus saith unto them, All of ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. But after that I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter said unto him, Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. And Jesus saith unto him, Verily I say unto thee, This day, even this night, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. He spake the more vehemently. I should, if I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise also said they all. They came to a place which is named Gethsemane. And he saith to his disciples, sit ye here while I shall pray. And he taketh with him Peter and James and John and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. And saith unto them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. He went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. And he cometh and find them sleeping and saith unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldest, thou, couldest not thou watch one hour? Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation." The spirit is truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed and spake the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. Neither wist they what to answer him. And he cometh a third time and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. It is enough. The hour is come. Behold, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise up, let us go. Lo, he that betrayeth me is at hand. And let's pray together. Father, we ask you to add your blessing to the reading of the word of God. Uh, Lord, we ask you again that you would open our eyes, that we would behold wondrous things from your law. Or may we understand it, or may we apply it, may we be obedient to it. And we'll praise you for what you're doing in us and through us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So as we walk into this text, it's very clear that the the summary of the text is about the Lord being in the garden and praying, and I think we're going to take some application ourselves on the issue of prayer this morning and its importance. Um, and as we walk into prayer, I'm always mindful of this uh, little story of the little girl, or little boy rather, who had, uh, whose grandmother came to visit, and she came to visit him, and she was staying in the guest room down the hallway from him. And it was time for bed, and mom said, okay, it's time to get ready for bed. Brush your teeth, wash your face, go to your room. I'll come in there and help you say your prayers. And mom came in to help him say the prayers, and the little boy got down by the bed to say his prayers. And he started praying, Lord, you know, 
be with my little sister and bless mom and daddy and, and be with grandma and grandpa. And Lord, help me get that red bike at the supermarket that I really want really bad. And mom said, son, you don't have to shout. The Lord hears you. He goes, I know the Lord hears me. I want to make sure grandmama hears me. Um, and I think a lot of times we can see prayer is we, we come and we offer a prayer and now God's obligated to answer in a certain way. And I think that's missing the point of prayer when we see prayer as just this vending machine kind of relationship that we pour out a certain thing and now God responds. Now, I do believe very clearly in the effectiveness of God's people praying, that God's people praying matters, and we ought to pour out our petition before God. But let's see if we can journey with our Lord through this text. The events up to this point have unfolded very quickly. We've moved along at a very rapid pace, and early on in Mark, we saw that was his purpose. Anon, straightway, is the King James language that would be used. It's just very quickly they moved on to the next event, and now Mark is moving us very quickly through these last weeks. Things are being done to the Lord now. He is not taking the action, but the action is happening to him. He is being moved about uh, through this trial that will take place, through the betrayal that will take place, through the denial of the apostles themselves. Judas has conspired to betray the Lord. The Last Supper has been prepared. The Lord's table has been inaugurated. The betrayal of Peter has been prophesied. It's even been foretold that all will forsake him. The Lord's table ended and they sang a hymn. Now they're walking to the garden, and on this way the conversation arises. Jesus tells them, all of you will forsake me. Peter responds, and a Peter's audacious response is always at the top. Well, they might forsake you, but I'm not going to forsake you. He's pointing at the other 11 or the other 10 apostles that are still with them and saying, well, these guys, they're pretty weak, but I'm not going to do it. I've got your back. And they all said, no, 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 Lord, none of us will betray you. And Jesus looked at him and he said, this day, Peter, you'll deny me three times. Peter vehemently responds, no, 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 Lord, if I have to die, I'll die before I deny you. And of course, we know that just a few hours goes by and it's a young maid that stands and, hey, aren't you one of his apostles? Aren't you one of his disciples? Weren't you with him? And he'll say, I don't even know who the man is. And three occasions he denies him. It's a reminder that we don't even know the weakness of our own flesh. And here, the apostle Peter is on display. He's put on the spot, and they arrive at the Garden of Gethsemane. Luke 22 and 40 calls this the place. That's the way it refers to it, the place. And if you look here in verse number 32, when they arrive here, and they came to a place which was named Gethsemane, and he saith to the disciples, sit here while I shall pray. John 18, 2, when he refers to this, he says, and Judas knows the place. Again, a definite article. This is a location that Jesus had visited on many occasions. He had retreated here with his apostles and had prayed here on many occasions. This was not an unusual or a new thing. Now, let me, let me just say this very clearly this morning. There is no uh, supernatural power in any geographical location to get our prayers answered. There's no place you need to go. You can pray anywhere at any time. And God's people said, because he's looking for someone to worship him in spirit and truth. But let me caution us, the danger of something that can be done at any place at any time is that it will be done at no place and no time. 
Because we're not doing it intentionally, we'll be very careful. And even our Lord, in his patterns and his habits, he went to the place to pray. He rose early in the morning to pray. And we find him at times even praying all night in prayer. And we see him doing it intentionally and doing it habitually. And let me challenge us to not fail to have a place and a time that we go and we spend time in prayer. Jesus had a place. The significance here of this location was no doubt that the disciples had been there on many occasions, but I think the name tells us something about it. Gethsemane means the olive press or to crush. Isn't it interesting that the place he goes and he prays and in just a few moments is going to say, my soul is sorrowful even unto death. The place is named to crush. And here, just as the olives would be placed into the wine press and pressed down to receive the oil that is within them, our Lord is about to be crushed under the weight of the task that he's given. He's being placed under this waist at this moment, and he feels the heaviness of it. He leaves some on the bench, and the normal three are called to go with him. The starting lineup, so to speak. Uh, Peter, James, John, you come with me. The rest of you wait here. We'll be back. And they go into the garden to another place. And he says to them, now you'll sit here and watch with me. I'm going to go and pray a little further. And he leaves the three and goes a little further into the garden and begins to pray. These three had seen the, the Mount of Transfiguration. They had seen the Lord in his glory on display. And now again they come to this place and they're seeing him in his hour of temptation. They're called to go with him to the lowest hour so far of his ministry. No hour has been this low so far, and our Lord is being poured out before them in prayer. Look at the wording here of our text, if you would, in verse number uh, 33. And he taketh with them Peter and James and John, and begins to be sore amazed, and to be very heavy and he said to them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. You see these words, sore amazed. The idea is to be almost astonished or shocked by the weight that was falling on him. Very heavy. His soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. He requests that they would tarry and watch one hour. I believe that Matthew gives us the kind of a blown up statement here. He's not only asking them to stay awake, but he's asking them to pray as well. And our text later on will reiterate the fact that he's asking them to pray with him. Would you pray with me and watch with me during this hour? See, at this point, we have to stop and wait here for a while while we watch the Lord walk into the garden and he leaves us into a distance and we watch from a distance our suffering Lord and we will never understand the struggle and the heaviness of the burden that he faced fully. I feel these are steps that we cannot take, for we are far too weak to go with him here. As we walk through this text, though, we see the transparency of our Lord with the view of the storm on the horizon. This is the storm that everything he has done has anticipated or has pointed to. Every message he's preached, every miracle he's performed, every mile he's walked has led him to this hour and this place. And with this storm in view on the horizon, our Lord is amazed as he knows the time is at hand. This is the culmination of his ministry and all that he's come to do is right before him. 
The grief of sorrow surrounds his soul, and all of these are crushing in upon him. And the pain of this hour is very palpable and real as it sits upon him in the fullness of its weight. And if you remember all the way back at the beginning of his ministry, when his mother came and he says, hey, would you, they're short on wine. Can you help at this marriage feast? And he turns the water into wine. But before he says to her, hey, woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. He calls it his hour is not yet come. And then in John 8 and 20, he said, this hour, his hour was not yet come. In John 12, 27, it says, now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause, I come into the world. This hour, Father, glorify thy name. And in John 13, 1, Jesus knew his hour was come. He knew it was the time for the cross. This was not play acting. This wasn't Jesus putting on dramatics in front of the people. But he bore this as a man, depended upon the Father while remaining fully God. And we see the two things in tension here, that he is all God and he is all man. He is truly God and truly man. And as the man, he takes the weight of the burden that he's about to face and he's walking forward into this garden. In this pain, he calls for the three to watch with him and tarry with him. There is a request to pray as well as to watch. Look at verse number 35 of our text, and he says, and he went forward a little and fell on the ground. Again, this is not just an act. This is not the Lord walking out some kind of action. How many of you have been in a place where some news that was horrific came to you? And you can take yourself back into your mind's eye and the news of the death of a loved one or maybe it was even a national crisis and you felt the physical weight of that grief washing over you as you heard the news and literally your physical body gave way to the emotional stress of what you were dealing with at that moment. And here I believe the Lord is understanding the hour he is facing and as he steps into that moment, his body literally falls to his knees as he cries out to his father. Our Lord fell to the ground in prayer asking for this cup to pass from him. Look at what he says in verse number 35. He went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. Another passage calls it the cup. Here we see the hour on display. What hour are we talking about? Well, no doubt we're talking about the hour of his physical death. His imprisonment, his being beaten with a cat of nine tails, his suffering at the hands of sinful men. I mean, the, the incongruity of a created being taking a created fist and striking the creator of the world. The unthinkableness of the lips of created beings cursing the one who gave them life and spit coming from their mouth and landing upon his face in disrespect. All of this is a part of the hour that he's facing here. But I do not think it is the physical punishment that he is grieving over at this moment because we see that there is no time where God became one, but that God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit have eternally been one. And now Jesus is walking into the hour to where the Son of God will cry out to the Father and say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's never known what it is to be separated from the Father. 
You know, here it is, it would be something totally different for you and I to be separated from the Father for eternity because we've never known the intimacy that Jesus shared with him. And now one who knew the intimacy of the Father is about to lay that aside for a brief moment as it was, and he's going to step into the place to take our sin upon him. And not only is he walking into this moment of separation, but he is also taking upon every sin, every act, every thought, every evil deed of all of humanity and the judgment of a holy God is being poured out upon him. And he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He's bearing the suffering of all of that. And here the Lord cries out, Is it possible? Is it possible that this hour might pass? Is there a way we could do this differently maybe? Now read no reluctance here. There's not a reluctance to do the Father's will. But there's an awareness of the reality and the weight of what he was sent to do. There's a clarity before him of what he came to do. And here's the thing to remember. No servant of God has been so aware of what he was asked to do at the beginning of his task. And yet so completely obedient to all of it. You and I, when we were given tasks to do, we've been given a task of marriage men and wives. We've been given a role of laboring with that person that God is partners with. And we would never know on our wedding day the burdens and the heartaches and the tears that we would face. And no doubt many would say we would still go through that valley. But how many of us have gone through battles and valleys who are thinking, I wouldn't want to do that again. And yet our Lord knew exactly what it was that he was going to face. And he walks obediently through the whole of this ordeal. Jesus knew the prophecies. He knew Isaiah 3 when it says he is despised and rejected of men. He knew that he would bear our griefs and our sorrows. He knew that he was wounded for our transgressions. He knew that it would be stripes that would bring healing. He knew that the Lord would lay upon him the iniquity of us all. He knew that the Father would see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. He knew all of this was coming, so he was not shirking from it. And so as he prays, he says, is it possible? Nevertheless, not what I will, but thou wilt. And here he puts on display a surrender to the Father, an obedience to the Father. And all that Adam had failed to do in the garden, Jesus was accomplishing in the garden. As Adam failed to be obedient to the Father in the garden, now Jesus is being obedient to the Father. What do we see Adam doing? Adam failed in a garden and was driven into a wilderness. Our Lord began his ministry in a wilderness and has come into the garden now. Victorious in the wilderness over temptation. Victorious in the garden now over this temptation. And here he is being oppressed by the enemy. All of this in one passage tells us that he prayed and his sweat were as great sweat drops of blood that began to run down his face and his brow. Jesus is victorious now in the garden. Adam could not refuse One forbidden fruit in the midst of paradise. And yet Jesus, in the midst of amazement and heaviness and sorrow, even unto death, is not offered a forbidden fruit, but is given a cup of suffering. And he obediently takes the cup of suffering. And he says, my hour has come. It's time. 
Adam sought his own promotion by taking the fruit and rejected the will of God. Jesus surrenders his own will and takes the cup and obeys the will of God. So Jesus is pouring out his soul. If it be possible. Nevertheless, not what I will, but thy will be done. He's pouring out his heart. He surrendered to his Lord. He rises from prayer in verse number 37, and he cometh and findeth them sleeping. Let's not be too hard on them. How many of have ever started into prayer and found ourselves sleeping? Don't be pious, all right? If you've prayed more than a few minutes, you fell asleep. I've got Bibles where certain liquids ruin the pages of the Bibles because I fell asleep on them. Um, just right there, you know, and I've got John 3.16 indelibly on my face. You've got to wash it off. The fact is, we've all struggled in our weakness to pray. We've gone to prayer and our minds wonder. We're weak, and Jesus comes and he finds them asleep. Luke tells us they slept for sorrow. The idea is they are so overwhelmed, they weren't even really sure what's going on here, and so they retire to sleep. How we need to pray for what the Lord would ask us to pray for. Isn't it interesting that here we find Jesus sorrowful unto death, and the apostles are sleeping. Can you think back with me to a point in the ministry of Christ where those roles were reversed? Where the apostles were sorrowful unto death and Jesus is asleep. You remember the boat? And the storm has come in and the apostles are running around the boat and pulling in the riggings and they're, they're doing everything they can. They're throwing over cargo and they holler to Jesus and he's back there on a pillow asleep. Lord, carest not that we perish. I'm just reminded that what causes me to be fearful, he rests through. But too often, what causes him to sorrow, I go to sleep on. And I think the key here is pray lest you enter into temptation. Because in our prayer, God aligns my will with his, that my heart would be broken about the things that God's heart is broken about, and that my mind and heart could be at peace over the things that God is at peace about. And may our hearts be lined up with the heart of the Savior. And here the apostles, they miss this opportunity. They don't return to this hour of prayer, but they fall asleep. He addresses Peter directly, and we see Peter getting the brunt of the correction. But even in the Lord's correction in verses 37 and 38, he cometh and find them sleeping, and he says, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldst thou not watch one hour? Here he comes with a question, and someone said that accusations harden the will, but questions provoke the conscience. And here our Lord comes and just said, are you guys sleeping? Can you not watch one hour? And he provokes them and calls them to labor with him. And it's almost as if the Lord is saying without saying it, Peter, I thought you said that you would die before you denied me. And now you can't watch with me one hour. See, Peter was determined to show his strength in the earlier text. And our Lord is determined to expose Peter's weakness in this one. And friend, what we need is not to see our strength. We need to see our weakness on display. To see who we really are before him. You see, the trials of sorrow reveal our frailty and our weakness. 
Watch and pray is, ask for, is to ask for divine assistance. We cannot do this without him. We cannot do the work we're called to do without him. And our Lord, prayer is not a declaration of strength here, but is a desperation of the weak. We are not going and saying, hey, God, we got this all together because I prayed three hours. Look how strong I am. That's the wrong way of viewing prayer. Prayer is not what the strong Christian does. Prayer is what the Christian does who realizes his fundamental weakness. That we are weak before God and that we are frail and we have no power of our own. And so we must go to another source. We are thirsty and he has water. We are hungry and he has bread. We are weak and he has might. And so we go to him and we petition for daily bread because we cannot do it on our own. And here our Lord goes and he gives us the illustration. You see, our Lord is showing us that human frame cannot bear spiritual struggles apart from divine assistance. You cannot do it on our own. Prayer is the act of the humble that declares, I need your grace. Prayer is, Lord, I believe, but help thou my unbelief. How weak I am. See, the spirit truly is ready, verse 38, but the flesh is so weak. Oh, we're frail. This is the real condition of the flesh. You see, we don't need strength in the flesh. We need to crucify the flesh. We don't need more determination. We need more surrender. You see, you will, you will not strengthen the flesh ever without hindering the spirit. Self-determination is not spiritual growth. You see, the goal of prayer is not stronger fleshly determination, but a crucified flesh. You see, and and here's, here's the apostles. W- were they limited in loyalty? No, I think they were very loyal men. They just weren't aware, aware of how weak they were. Were they, were they really not determined to stay with him? I think their loyalty, their affection, and their determination are without question. These men were loyal, they were affectionate, they were determined. But if loyalty, affection, affection, and determination will not help us in this realm, only dependence, humility, and prayer will sustain our weak frame. For the flesh is weak. And so we go and we pour ourselves out upon him. We see Jesus doing the same and calling them to pray. Verse number 39, I take great encouragement from this. And again, he went away and prayed and spake the same words. How many have ever been told, don't pray with vain repetition? Jesus gave us that instruction, right? And how many have ever prayed the same thing over and over again? All right, you're just obedient to Jesus. What's your deal? You know? I'm glad the two things are not mutually exclusive because how, how many of you know our minds are so weak that we find ourselves wandering in prayer are returning to the same thing time and time again, and I know that in confession we go back to the Lord for the same things week in and week out. Do we not? Because we failed him again, and we failed him again, and we come. See, here's the thing. What Jesus is saying is don't have vain repetition when he challenges us. It's not about the amount of times that you pray something or the repetition with which you go through it that God is going to hear you. But it is to say that the same burden that rests on my heart, I can bring to him time and time and time again. And he never wearies hearing of those burdens. I mean, how many times have we been with our children And when they're little, and all my kids are getting so big now, I don't even have these around me anymore, but 
hey dad, 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 what? Why is the car red? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and impatience or, Dad, can you tie my shoe? 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 And it's just over and over and the same prayer. Aren't you glad that our Lord never gets weary of us coming to him time and time again? I'm weak again today, Lord. I'm tired again today. Father, I failed you again today. And time and time again we go with the same prayer. Father, use us again this week. Father, use us again this week. Father, let your word be sufficient again today. And God hears us when we go with the same request over and over again. And our Lord prayed the same prayer. Don't fear going to him on the same matters again and again. Come to him. He is long-suffering. He is patient. Verse number 40, though, and he found them sleeping again. Some time has elapsed, no doubt, and he comes back, and the apostles, I kind of picture if I were in that prayer meeting, the Lord would have come in and rebuked us the first time, and I would have kind of shaken myself, and if we were in a Baptist prayer meeting, we'd have got a cup of coffee, right? Probably some kind of pastry or something to wake yourself up with, and I would have returned to a place of prayer, you know, and, and then drifted off again, thinking that I'm going to wake myself up, and we're going to determine to make this happen. It says the teacher has already told you not to pass notes and she catches you passing another one and now here you're caught twice in a row. And they can imagine the frustration with themselves, the embarrassment of it all. Jesus rebukes them kindly and patiently. Verse number 41, and he cometh the third time, saith unto them, sleep on now, take your rest, it is enough the hour has come. And those phrase ought to sit heavy on us. The hour has come. Our Lord has gone through a night of prayer, of pouring out his soul to the Father and saying, is it possible that this hour could pass? And is it interesting that when we get to this verse, the Father didn't answer his prayer like he thought. Now, he did answer the prayer, didn't he? Because his prayer was not, let this cup pass. His prayer was, let this cup pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And here in this moment, <clears throat> he had prayed for the hour to pass, but the hour did not pass. It was the will of the Father to align this hour with the Lord Jesus Christ and lead him to the cross. And now we see a whole change in the heart of the Lord. Now, not heavy, not one that is exceeding sorrowful unto death, but one that is strengthened by the Father, that is sustained by the Spirit. He now stands up and he is waking them out of sleep saying, hey guys, Rise up, Judas is here to betray us. And he sets his face toward the cross and he begins walking that direction. See, too often if we're not careful, we pray for certain things and they do not come to pass and then we blame God or want to blame the church and we hear statements like, well, I tried church once and it doesn't work. Let me just say this, the Lord Jesus Christ is not a diet program. He's not a self-help guru. He's the Lord of creation. 
that deserves our surrender, whether we face the hour or he brings escape from the hour. And here he brings him to this hour for this purpose. This hour is where he was coming. I think prayer can be fundamentally misunderstood when our response is, God, why didn't you? See, prayer is not convincing God of my worthiness to grant my request. Well, if I pray enough, God will be impressed with my determination and he will be obligated to answer my prayer. I'll just fast some more and God will answer my prayer. Let, let me make something very clear. Christ was worthy of his request being answered, but he prayed according to the will of the Father. It's not about measuring up to him. It's about surrendering myself to him. Prayer is not wrestling with God to get my will from a reluctant God. But prayer is surrendering my will to a loving Father who has purposes far greater than my feeble mind could ever imagine. Prayer is where we find strength to face the hour at hand. And I was reading commentary this week and, uh, and, and listening, and Brother Jeremiah, you turned me on to that app. And I was listening to J. Vernon McGee. And uh, yesterday afternoon I was listening to it, and he said, when J. Vernon McGee comes to this hour, he said, for the first time in the history of our Lord's ministry, the designs of heaven and hell have aligned. That both the Father and the demons of hell were moving Jesus to the cross. One thought they had the victory. The other was surrendering to the will of the Father and produces the victory. And hell will be defeated Death loses its power. Death has no more sting because the son was obedient to the will of the father and he went through this hour. Those who slept, they responded with pulled swords and anger and they ran in fear. And my crisis of faith often reveals my lack of humble dependence on the father. It doesn't reveal my lack of human determination. So these men slept for sorrow. They responded with force, and Jesus rebukes their force. Put away your sword, Peter. I, I don't need your sword. I could presently call for my father, and he would send down 12 legions of angels that would destroy the world and set me free, and he could do it in a moment. I don't need your sword, Peter. And yet they responded with sleep, and they responded with force, and then they ran in fear, and they forsook our Lord in this darkest hour. And what is on display here is the dependence of our Lord on the will of the Father and the weakness of his followers and their own dependence on themselves and their own determination. And yet these same weak men in just a few short weeks are going to stand up and proclaim the gospel to the world around them and literally turn the world upside down in just a few short weeks. The ones who were running in fear, the ones who were pulling swords in anger, these men who were shrinking from the Lord in his hour of temptation are now standing up and boldly proclaiming Christ and what has changed. Our Lord faced the hour. He went through the cross. He rose again. And these men now on the other side of Pentecost are empowered by the Spirit of God to do the work of God. It is weak vessels empowered by a mighty God that does the work, not determined men. We've spent too much time building up how strong we are, or how organized we are, or how able we are, or how talented we are. This morning, you and I are nothing but jars of clay. 
It is the power of Almighty God that does the work in us and through us. And we must keep that on display. God, forgive us whenever we think, Lord, I'll not deny you. Though everybody else does, I'll not deny you. I've sang the song for you, quoted the song for you a hundred times, but the song, songwriter wrote the words, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Because we know we are weak. God, show us our weakness. Show us our need. And then use us in our weakness. And by the way, isn't that the amazing thing? Is that God uses us in our weakness? Actually, this morning, if I'm understanding it right, our strengths can become our greatest hindrance. Because it's in our weakness that we understand 2 Corinthians, he says, we have this treasure, the gospel. In earthen vessels or jars of clay, why? That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Let's put him on display this week. I don't know what you face this week. I don't know what you're going to go through this week. But here's the thing. You don't have the strength to carry it. He does. And so we go to him and say, Lord, whatever your will is, I'm surrendered to you. Use me for your glory. Would you bow your heads this morning? Father, thank you for the sufficiency of your word. Or may we lean into it. May it be our only hope, our only rest. Father, do a work in our hearts this morning. Or thank you for the work you set before us of reaching outside the walls of our church with foreign missions works, with raising money to support these men and ladies that have committed their lives to gospel ministry across the world. But Father, this morning, help us, Lord, not to depend upon our strength to do it. But Father, simply say, Father, what is your will? And yield ourselves to you to do it and then be obedient. Let's stand to our feet and we'll sing together this morning.